Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. It is Wednesday, December the 13th, 2017, and uh, getting started a little bit later than normal. It's 8.05 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and we had some technical things. Oh, that worked. We had tea things going on, but uh, I think we have them under control. And, and I have to say, Cindy, I'm hopeful this is actually going to be a very clean podcast from now on for the rest of today because uh, I'm trying an experiment that when I was trying it offline, it seemed to work well, so maybe we won't have those internet drops. That'd be fantastic. I would love that. That would make my life a whole <laughs> lot happier. <laughs> so anyway, how's, how's it been the last 24 hours? Any interesting things? Any wins? Any good stuff? Well, I think that um, the biggest win I have starts out with a, a thing that sounds not like a win, but... Um, I accidentally yesterday poured boiling water over the top of my hand in the kitchen, Ooh. and um, and I was it really was very very painful, and I couldn't get to the cold water fast enough, mm. and mm. I decided right then and there, okay, I'm not going to go down this road of like continually telling myself how terrible this is going to be and how much it hurts. <laughs> yeah. So I just started saying it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, and I put ice on it. But I have to say, within about a half an hour yesterday, the pain was pretty much gone. It doesn't hurt now. There's a tiny spot of redness on it. But I really expected it to blister and be awful. And um, it's about 95% better than I expected it to be. So it's a, it's sort of amazing. That's my that's my win. <laughs> that's not a bad win, actually. That's a pretty good win because when you come through something like that and it's not it's not inducing you to continue to suffer, you're doing really well. I call that a big win. Well, you know, the thing I've been telling myself and I tell other people sometimes when we're not feeling well is that our body, our body's propensity is to heal. You know, when we get a scratch, it immediately starts to heal up. And so we can keep reminding ourselves that our body knows how to heal. And that's a much better reminder than, oh, my goodness, this is going to be terrible and it's going to make a scar and it's going to, you know, and it hurts and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I just turned it around to my body knows how to heal. My body heals all the time. It does. It's actually very good at it. In fact, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at all the different ways that the body is able to not only heal but to heal quickly. And it has a very good track record in that regard, too. Um, exactly. I mean, my, my uh, sister-in-law, I think I mentioned, is a, uh, a PhD candidate and uh, does a lot of uh, scientific research. And one of the things that she discovered at one point through her research um, by reading other people's studies was that uh, they can actually trace what happens in the body from the moment that your brain engages in either happy, positive-related thoughts or negative thoughts in association with an injury or an illness. They can trace oh. it from the point where you, you experience your, you're either in a happy state or a sad state. If you're in a positive, happy type state, certain um, hormones and endocrines and so forth kick off, start sending signals through the nervous system to the injured or ill part of the body and immediately start healing it. They send all kinds of healing agents there. But if you're in a sad state or a depressed state or a very negative state, the opposite happens. Signals go out saying, start dying, start killing, start start destroying the host. So, I mean, it, and, and the amazing thing is the whole process starts happening in about 90 seconds. Well, that's amazing. So Isn't that it? was me cheering my body on. You can do it. You're a good yeah. healer. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you are absolutely on the right track by doing that. I mean, that was a, a really smart thing to do, and I, I know that's why you're feeling so much better today. That's great. I'm just going to – got to keep on that for all kinds of things that can come down the road, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> They're I'm, always like, you know, I realize it's with the best intentions, but it's like cold and flu season is coming. You know, we get these reminders of, of oh, like yes. – Right, and it's like let's just tell the other story. Yeah, my body knows how to heal. Wouldn't that be interesting? Just just as a scientific test, just as a study <laughs> to to see what happens if you put out a different message to the population. What happens to the incidence of flu during flu season? <laughs> I it bet would you change. Would I mean, it would change. It would have to. I think it. I think it would. I really do. So. No, this is a good way to start off our daily dose of happy. So thank you for sharing. I'm sorry that you had the pain and, and the, the incident, but I'm glad that you're coming through it in flying colors. That's great. Yeah, it's 
it's really amazing. So what about you? Uh, have you had a win that's something that's um, other than connected to technology? <laughs> well, actually, right now, everything that I've been focusing on between podcasts has been about technology. And my big win is, so far, we are, let's see, where are we? We're five and a half minutes into this, and we haven't had a single internet drop. Every podcast we've done for the last few weeks has had internet drops within the first few minutes. So I'm happy. Like, this is great. This is working. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Okay. So that that is a good win because ooh, the frustration of having bad connections and not hearing each other and internet dropping and all that, that can really be frustrating. So it's like tapping into that feeling of when everything's working perfectly. Ooh, that is that is a big oh, win. It's a huge feeling of relief. And and plus yeah. I mean I I want we want our listeners to have a pleasant listening experience knowing that they're going to hear clear voices, complete sentences, no breaks. Everything's <laughs> just going to come through nice. Oh, that is such a nice feeling. <laughs> so, right? Yeah, that's my biggest win. Um, another big win is that, uh, well, this goes back. This is like a long, long-witted win. <laughs> I'll try to tell the short story of it, but last spring, our... Um, AC heating unit died and we live in an apartment complex. So the apartment management, of course, had to fix or replace it. And it was a pretty old unit. So they ended up replacing it. Now, this is a complex that it's like many management companies. They don't tend to want to spend money. They do everything on the cheap. And their tendency has always been to get cheap replacement um, AC and heating units. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, the... Uh, the guy who's a, in head, the head of maintenance, he actually lives just two doors away from us. Um, he decided to put in something that was better quality, uh, partly because there were like six or seven units that all had the same thing happen. This is a fairly large complex. And so he could get a bunch of them at a discount. So we said, well, let's get the better quality stuff. Well, I have to say I'm so pleased he did that because not only is it working so much better than the old, you know, used to work, but our power bill since then has been down like 30% compared to what it was under the old unit. And on oh, top wow. of that, I mean, you know how with, um, I don't know if you have a heat pump, but with heat pumps, when you, when the temperature gets down to a certain level, um, it becomes actually too difficult to pull heat out of the outside atmosphere in order to warm the house, just because the temperature is so low, there isn't a whole lot of heat to draw in. And so it becomes right. inefficient. And so, what they call the auxiliary heat has to kick in, which is basically just an old-fashioned heating coil, and that basically doubles or triples the amount of electricity you're burning. So you really don't want that to happen too often. And right now we're in a cold snap. Uh, temperatures this morning were like 19 degrees Fahrenheit, and the auxiliary heat under the old system would have been practically running all night. Last night, I don't think it came on at all. Oh, I'm wow. Thinking, Whoa, this is great. <laughs> really? So that's a, that's a big big that's a big big win because that's um something that affects you the whole season. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 This, this is like season long. Now we haven't gone through a winter yet uh to actually compare the bills to last year, but just when ha what happened on the summer, we were definitely getting a 30% decrease and and if we can get that during the winter, which is when we spend the most money on on uh electricity, whoa, that'll be a really nice savings. That'll be great. So I'm oh, loving good. it. I'm just loving it. I would just expect it. Yeah. Well, I am expecting it. Like, come on, yeah. let's go. <laughs> Amazing. So anyway. It's not quite that cold here, but it was 32 this morning. For us, that's really cold. <laughs> yeah. Down in Bayou country, that is very cold. Yeah. And you had <laughs> snow, you said, like uh, uh, within the last week, which is really unusual. We did. We had snow on Friday. It shut the whole city down, but it was it was fun to look out and see it and um, see all the little snowmen that people were making. Not very big, you know. Well, you have to have <laughs> a lot of snow for a big snowman, so that's understandable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just scooped together some, you know, like balls the size of, like, grapefruits. And <laughs> <laughs> this is where you use all the snow in the yard to make one snowman. <laughs> right? There's none of that, you know, rolling the ball to get it huge. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen here. <laughs> uh, they almost need like a, a rolling pin in order to, to get it all to smooth just the way you want it to. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. anyway, 
our topic that we thought of to talk about today was another holiday-related topic. I think I like the idea of doing holiday-related topics during the holidays. And the one that occurred to me is, um, <laughs> we'll call it in one sense, we'll subtitle it the, the Battle of the Waistline. Because the actual title is Body Image During the Holiday Season. And what we're really talking about here is everybody likes to eat sweets during the holiday season, but come January 1st, they say, oh, God, i got to have another resolution. <laughs> and during the right. season, it can actually impact how you feel about yourself. If you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, oh, why am I doing this to myself? So body image during the holiday season, that, that's the topic. I think especially um, people that are working in places maybe where they're invited to a lot of parties. Oh yeah, or or offices where it's routine for people to put out special, you know, food a lot more than than usual, or maybe even you know when my kids were little, it seemed like there was a never ending, um, just a never ending calendar of going to school and doing like little parties and things, events that were happening, and there was always um, candy and you know, treats oh, <laughs> at yes. those kind of events. And so I guess there's just the, I don't, I don't personally have as much um, of that temptation around me. And I also don't really have a sweet tooth. Um, it just doesn't really appeal to me all that much. And so I don't have that much trouble with it. But I know it's really hard for some other people, especially people, I have a couple of people in my life that really, really love um Things like that, mm -hmm. candy and sweets, and this toffee that comes out at this time of year. Um, that's like we can't just can't keep it around because it just gets wiped out anytime we put it out. Everyone <laughs> loves it, and so it's like, yeah, I see that people are, you know. But part of that, don't you think that part of that? I mean, we're here talking about law of attraction, right? How much of that is actually really connected to a story? You know, I always say that our experience in life is directly connected to our identity and how we identify ourselves in different situations. Like I just said, I don't really have a sweet tooth. And I've, I've really sort of told that story my whole life. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't intentional. I mean, it wasn't, you know, conscious creation. I'm just going to tell a story that I don't like sweets. It really has been that way. When I was a little girl, my parents used to take me to this place where they – it was like a, a breakfast place, where, but they specialized, I can't remember the name of it, but they specialized in like the waffles and pancakes with whipped cream all over them and all this. And I was five years old and I would say that I wanted a pancake, but I, all I wanted on it was butter. I didn't want syrup and whipped cream. And the waitresses used to just say, is she for real? <laughs> what five-year-old kid doesn't want whipped cream all over everything? Um, but I wonder how much of that story has just continued to carry on so I really don't you know it's like I could take it or leave it um, and then there's the other part of the story and that's the part that you were talking about it's like looking in the mirror saying oh like why am I doing this to myself I'm feeling bad about ourselves having a, a having to affect our body image um, how much of that effect that we see is a result of the story that we tell like if we think we're doing something really bad for ourselves, oh yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm sure that it plays a major role, um, and I'm fascinated by the story you told yourself as a as a child. Uh, it almost makes me wonder how you ended up telling that story in the first place, because it's pretty unusual. Like uh, the waitress was was noticing, but uh, that story undoubtedly served you very well growing up and into your adult life. And I'm, I am 100% certain that one led to the other, where now you just you don't have a, an interest in, in sweets and, and you basically programmed yourself to feel that way. And I think it's also true, uh, like you said, on the other side, people who look in the mirror and don't like what they're seeing there, again, they're telling themselves a story. I think that's, your point is, is brilliant. I think it's spot on. And I guess part of trying to learn to apply the law of attraction and to uh, what part of what we're doing here with the show of, you know, helping people get their daily dose of happy. Well, having a daily dose of happy is a whole lot better than a daily dose of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, and it's one of those things, I mean, I'm a believer in the concept of moderation, you know. I think, okay, everything in moderation. It's like, um, but I remember someone saying to me one time, oh, you have got to try this dessert at this restaurant in town. It is amazing. It's totally worth the stomach ache. And I was like, no. (laughs) Like, no dessert is worth the stomach ache. Like, I... (laughs) What a sales pitch. <laughs> so the thing is, is that it go, it always, everything, right, always goes back to this feeling better. And when, when that story is already, when we're already hearing this inner voice say, oh, you're going to have a stomachache if you eat that. Or you're, not, you're really not going to feel good if you eat that. And we just ignore it because, yeah, but this thing tastes so good, I really want to eat it anyway. Um, instead of listening to it, because, you know, our bodies are really smart. And if we listen, if we pay attention, I think people are, we don't want to deprive ourselves. And so we don't want to listen to a voice that's telling us we might not feel good afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I think there's also another factor, too. This is one I've experienced with my wife, because my wife does have a sweet tooth. And I have... I, I, it's not one of those things where I have a need, like I perceive a need to have sweet, but if I do have sweet, I do want to keep eating more of it. So I have that much of a need for it, if you will. And as a result, because my wife will make, you know, some sort of dessert, you know, and she'll say, well, you want some too. And my, my first reaction is, well, yeah, I want to have some. I want, I'm doing this with you. This is one of our things that we do together. And of course, later on, I say to myself, why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> that was that wasn't smart, and I do this over and over and over again. Now, I I actually do not have a major body image problem, probably because I've always been pretty thin, and it's only in the last ten years or so that I even began to acquire something that I would call a belly that other people would say that's nothing. <laughs> so, you know, my my experience with it is is very limited compared to other people, and yet just even having that much doesn't feel good. And so I've been actually pushing back a little bit saying, you know, Louise, I really don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want that. <laughs> My that- family, they they kid me all the time because, um, like, ice cream. If I'm going to eat ice cream, which is pretty rare, but I will have a scoop that's, like, the size of a golf ball. <laughs> and, like, that's pr- that's enough. I'm like, that was so good. And they're all looking at me mm. like, oh, my goodness, really? Like, <laughs> And I have to like, say, well, ice cream is something I love. I really do love ice cream. <laughs> and, and we do eat ice cream. You know, we'll go out for ice cream like, you know, once a week or something like that during the summer especially. You know, so I, I, that's a weakness for me, no doubt about it. Have I ever had just one small scoop? Probably, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, It's really all I usually want. But then there are other things that are definitely harder to, um, you know, to just limit to a really small amount. Oh, like what? Um, well, I, this is funny because I always, my tendency was to like um, things that weren't as sweet, but like baked things that weren't like croissants or like bread. Oh, or, okay. And then um, it turned out that I had, I had, this is an interesting law of attraction kind of question too that I've always wondered about because it goes back to, I don't eat bread now at all. Um, I don't eat anything with, I don't eat gluten, but I can't tell you that I have a specific, like, gluten allergy. It's that I'm really sensitive to wheat, oh. and that's generally where the gluten is. So right. I just, it's easy now that people are aware of gluten intolerances, and if you go in a restaurant, you can say, do you have a gluten-free menu? That way I know I'm not eating any wheat. Yeah. Um, but I... Went, I changed my diet maybe 20 years ago and decided to become um, a vegetarian. And it was purely for health reasons. I just thought that was a healthier option. Mm-hmm. So at the same time that I stopped eating a lot of meat, I also stopped eating a lot of junk because I really just cleaned up my diet. Good for you. And in hindsight, I realized that was why I got such a boost of health right away. Like, I felt amazing when I first cut out all this junk and stopped eating so much meat. And so then, because I felt so good, 
I wasn't overweight. Um, I've never really had a weight problem, but I did drop like five pounds without trying I, and just, just like gone. I was like, wow, um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even try. And so I was so excited and I felt so good. My energy level was up. I had chronic sinus headaches that suddenly were gone. Oh. And I really felt like, you know, 20 years younger or something. I just, I was, it was amazing. Mm. Well, that lasted for about six months. And during that time, I started, I went from a vegetarian to a vegan. I like cut out all animal products. And I did all the things that, you know, the nutritionists tell you you should do if you're not going to eat those things. I, I supplemented and I made sure to have the right this and the right that. But I started getting sick. And, of course, I got really, I ended up getting really sick. And all the doctors said, well, it's not your diet because you have the cleanest diet we've ever seen. And it turns out somebody gave me a copy of a book um, about eating for your blood type. And I know this is a long story, but what happened in a, in a nutshell is that I was under 90 pounds at the time. My hair was falling out. My nails wow. were breaking off. I was in pain all the time, and everybody that loved me thought I was going to die. Oh, my. And my friend was at, a, at the health food store, and she was talking to the owner who had gone through a serious health crisis years ago, and she said, well, my, my friend is really sick, and we think she's going to die because no one can tell her what's wrong. Um, they keep saying they don't know what's wrong. And he said, give her this book. And I, I didn't even know my blood type. And I was too, I didn't weigh enough to give blood to find out my blood type. So I had to talk to this doctor and to please blood type me. And they finally did. They said, you're a type O. And the type O blood type diet says, um, red meat is about the most important thing I can be eating. <laughs> uh-huh. And that wheat is toxic for people with a type O blood type. And I was just like, I remember to this day, this was like 15, 20 years ago, I remember saying, I did this to myself. Oh, my goodness. I did this to myself. All trying. Now, here's the, way, here's the why I have the confusion, you know, and the little hmm about law of attraction. Because if I have understood, you know, um, Abraham Hicks correctly, Abraham would say, if you think you're doing something bad for you, then it's definitely going to have an effect of being like something bad for you. But if you think you're doing something good for yourself, I really thought I was doing something good. And because I had such a fantastic response in the first six months and felt like, I really felt like superwoman, um, it was like, okay, this has to be right. And so that has always puzzled me because when I started eating red meat again and I started, stopped eating wheat and the things that were on the list of, yeah, don't eat these things, I I was almost, it feels like a miracle because within a month I was putting the weight back on. The, the pain left within two or three days. Um, and within three months to six months, I was completely healthy again. Very interesting. Yeah. And so for me, that's always been a question when I go back to that. It's like, but, you know, I do have an experience in my life where I was 100% sure that what I was doing was really good for me and had the experience of just thriving at the beginning of it. And then, no, 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 it wasn't. Well, Ooh, traffic out my window. It, Suddenly it wasn't good. So it, It's, it's just, interesting just, you should say that because one thing that occurred to me as you're telling that story is something that I thought about before and, and always – kind of put in the back of my mind, like, I'll deal with that later, deal with that later. When when you listen to Abraham Hicks, they talk about your emotional set point, and they, they talk about that in the context of this is your way of being able to uh, uh, control how you are going to apply the law, the law of attraction in your life, uh, just by constantly being aware of your own feelings. And the thing that yes. occurred to me is we feel more than just emotions, we also have tactile feelings, and I wondered what role that plays in the whole uh, the whole set point thing. Because we really don't normally think of you know touch, the physical feeling of touch, or you know feeling physically stuff inside. We don't really think of that as being emotional, uh, as an expression of emotion. But I wonder if it really is. And the reason That's I say that point. is, you had this whole set of, of of things that were happening to you that were causing you physical discomfort, but you discounted them as being part of a measurement of your emotional set point, very understandably. 
Well, I definitely knew, I mean, obviously that, and I'm kind of making air quotes about the word wrong, right? Because <laughs> it's such a label, it's such a judgment. But I knew something was wrong. I mean, I knew I was feeling something I didn't want to feel. Nobody wants to be sick. Right. Um, and yet, and of course for me, I really, and still to this day, believe that um, food is probably our most important medicine. Yeah. And so at the time, you know, the changing my diet helped me feel better. And so it made sense. But the nutritionist that I had gone to and the doctors were saying, well, I remember one time they made me write down everything I ate for a week. Mm. Everything. They said if you have one bite of something, it has to go down on the right. list. I said, okay. And so I did it, and they said, oh, well, this is not diet-related. So, you know, I, it was my long quest to to get better. Now, in hindsight, it really would be interesting, like, what kind of positivity or what kind of thoughts was I having at the time when suddenly the answer appeared, right? Suddenly the book appeared to me. I mean, That's someone brought it to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's no way of knowing now because it was so many years ago. Um, I've always been a person. Yeah, I've always been a person that's been a, a positive thinker, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. an optimist. Yeah. And so, who knows, you know? But it is interesting. Um, you were talking about feelings and tactile things. This is something that I make a distinction between um, in my own teaching is that. We have feelings and we have emotions. And emotions are, you know, sad, mad, happy, scared. Those are the four main ones. But, of course, there's hundreds of emotion words we can use. Um, but then we also have feelings. We have, I have a knot in my stomach or my neck feels stiff or, right, my, right, my shoulders are tight. I mean, those are feelings that we feel in our body. And we might not, there, I mean, there's definitely a connection. Sure. Between oh, yeah. those feelings and emotions. And I think that our body definitely speaks to us um, with both of those things. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I, I guess I was thinking just in terms of, of the Abraham teachings and do we include that when we are considering what our emotional set points are. And I'm beginning to think that we do. If we don't, we're actually cutting out a piece of the signals that we're getting, I think. I agree. I'm, I'm with you on that one, totally. I I. I agree. I think we have to listen to our bodies. They are telling us a message. And sometimes the, those feelings are intertwined with the emotions. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, Probably most of the time, right? I, I mean, would say we have all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. So paying attention to those signals um, gives us even more. It's, it's all just everything is just energy and information. Yeah, it really truly it, is. Because even more. By the way, if there are any listeners who um, are listening live while we're doing this broadcast, it's currently Wednesday, December 13th, we're at 8.30 a.m., 8.33 a.m. Eastern Time. We know almost all of our listeners listen as a recorded podcast after the fact, either on PRN or on the website, the uh, uh, podcast subscriptions. But if you are listening live, and we're trying to encourage more and more people to listen live, and you want to participate, we'd love to hear you. You know, give us a call. Uh, we do have an open phone line that you can call. That number is 860-264-5432. That's 860-264-5432. And uh, we don't really necessarily expect anyone to call in because um, we do know the numbers. The numbers are like 99.9% .9 listening after the fact. But, hey, if you're listening, we'd love to hear from you. So please call in. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention, too, while I'm remembering doing commercial announcements, <laughs> if you're enjoying this, if you think this is a good podcast, you know, share it. Put it on your social media, your favorite social media channel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, you know, whatever you use. You know, let people know if, if, you're, if you're enjoying this because we want to spread the word and get more people involved in getting their daily dose of happy and, and spreading positive entertainment rather than negative entertainment as so much of the entertainment out there really is these days. So helped spread the love, so to speak. So end of the commercial announcement. <laughs> so body image during the holidays. This is the thing that contributes uh, people's holiday behavior and habits. 
um, of celebrating <laughs> probably is what contributes to the rush to the gym on January, the first week of January. And then we always hear that those numbers calm way down after we get into the first uh, month or so of the year. The gym memberships drop off. People stop stop going. Um, and so how how do you think that we change that sort of curve of behavior with law of attraction. Oh, I think you already have provided the example. I mean, you told the story about how as a very little kid, not that you were intending to apply law of attraction, but it's still a great story. You just kept telling yourself, I'm not, I don't really like sugar all that much. I just don't really want to eat that much of it. And you kept telling that story to yourself throughout your life until now. I mean, if you do have any at all, you have a little tiny scoop of ice cream and that's about it. <laughs> Well, the story that you've been telling yourself has been huge. So, so I would go back to what you said earlier in the program about how important the stories are that we tell each other and tell ourselves about ourselves and use that same concept when it comes to how we're going to handle our intake of junk food and how we're going to handle what happens when we pass the junk food period and we go into January and we try to establish resolutions. Instead of trying to establish a resolution on one day, I guess that's what I'm saying, why not make it an ongoing resolution to keep telling ourselves the better story? Because that to me is the more effective resolution than you know, January 1st. Okay, my resolution this year is to take off 10 pounds and then you're done. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> Right, right, right. No, I, I'm, I think that there are so many examples of, of how we tell a story and the stories that we tell about ourselves. You know, I tell, I tell a story of something that happened with me, um, interviewing someone who was considering hiring me as a coach. Oh. And very excited to, to hire me and we were hopping on the phone and the day that she, that we had set our appointment for everything to start rolling and she was going to um, officially start working with me, that morning she got a surprise phone call where she got fired oh my. or laid oh my. off, lost her job, right. and right. It, it kind of blindsided her. And she came to the call saying, I feel so awful and I'm not going to be able to hire you. I don't have any income. I just lost my job. And she said, but I'm a survivor, um, so I'm okay. She said, I'm okay. Everything's going to work out. I'm a survivor. And she started telling me about things that had happened to her in her life. And truly, I, I don't wish, I wouldn't wish a tenth of the things that happened to her on anyone. I mean, just it was, she had really been through this long list of terrible tragedies in her life, and she said, but I'm a survivor, and it hit me that after 10 minutes of conversation, she'd probably said, I'm a survivor, you know, 15 times. Right. And what hit me was that her identification with being a survivor was mm -hmm. so strong that at this point, I don't think the universe could really show her anything but one more thing to survive. Right. You know, um, it's like the universe is a big mirror, right? It's It's not that the universe has feelings and tries to do something nice for us. It's that we create it with whatever we're seeing. It's that reticular activation like we talked about yesterday. Yeah. And so that's all she could see. And so it just was a never-ending stream of things for her to survive. And I actually told her that in a very kind way. I said, let me tell you what I'm hearing. And she actually wrote me an email a couple of weeks later saying, wow, I think this is going to change my life. Like mm -hmm. just recognizing the story of – but talking about food and talking about sweets. You know, I, I raised two sons, and from the time they were very small, one of them was sort of like me because just could care less. Like the, didn't a cake will sit in the house for a week, and I'll throw it away because nobody's <laughs> eating it. But – but, and that's, you know, if the one son was away doing awesome, but, but the other son was like, couldn't stop eating sweets, loved the sweet things. And I, what I wonder is how many times, I mean, I'm telling that story to you now. How many times did I tell that story when they were little in their hearing and it just reinforced it? 
how many times did I as mom say, oh, this one loves sweets. You just can't get him to stop eating cake. He loves cake. Oh, I see <laughs> he eats cake all day. And this one doesn't really like it. You know, he doesn't eat too many sweets. How many times? <laughs> so, in, in other words, your expectation helped lead to the, the, the disparity, so to speak. Well, I'm just saying that as we go through life, we're not the only ones. People pick up our story. Yes. And then they start reinforcing it, right? Yes. So, you know, so, so if you and I were somewhere and there were, you know, your wife was there and, you know, a group of people and you're introducing me and we're all out to dinner, it might be, this is Cindy. She's the one that just eats the golf ball size <laughs> ice cream. <right? laughs> but those, just to say those stories that we tell yeah. really get picked up by other people. And then because they love us, they will start reinforcing those stories. Um, I remember um, someone saying one time that their mom um, used to bake them cookies when they were little, and that was one of the ways that the, the mother showed love to the daughter. Sure. That she would always bake her favorite cookies. And it was like a continuing problem for her in life with sweets and with weight and she said one day she realized that she connected sweets and eating cookies, you know, with a feeling of love because that's one of the things that her mother would always do for her. And oh, yeah. I can't remember it, I can't remember who that, where I read that or heard that. It was a speaker or a book, but I thought, okay, so there's more of that reinforcement. You know, everything's emotional. <laughs> You're talking about emotional set mm. points. Yeah. Um, everything we do in the service is always in the service of feeling better and so whether we realize it or not and until we find healthier ways to feel better we fall back on the ways that have worked in the past to help us feel better and it only might be momentary but cookies taste good and (laughs) we feel better when we eat a cookie well here in the northeast we have a sizable italian population and when you live around so many Italians, you, you pick up on the culture that, you know, they're, they're Italian American, obviously, but you still pick up on that Italian side of it. And a big part of being Italian is that food is love. I mean, you go to an Italian house for dinner and it's just overwhelming how much food gets put out. It's just incredible. I mean, here at home, Louise and I, you know, we'll have like, you know, two or three dishes and, and you know, relatively small amounts, and, and we're done. You go to an Italian house, and the entire table is loaded down with food. <laughs> and that's just normal. <laughs> that's just normal behavior. That's normal Italian behavior. And, you know, you, you get a real sense for what you're talking about when you realize all that food is made because they have a generational appreciation for using the creation of food as a way of expressing, this is me caring for you, my, my, uh, my children or my... Uh, my spouse or, or whomever, just this, this is the way I show you my love. And they do it yeah. constantly. And they love it. I mean, it, the, the smiles on their faces when the food comes out is clear. It's crystal clear. Well, so, it's interesting because even we do that. I mean, our, you know, we do that and the holidays is a time that we do it in a big way, right? I mean, that is people do holiday baking, Right. And then they'll bring you a cake or yes. bring you, you know, holiday cookies, Christmas cookies. It's like to show you that they love you. So I think we get this consistent dose of food as love, most of us oh, anyway, I think so. yeah. um, our whole life. And so there is that emotional attachment. So it's like, okay, when we love ourselves, we can find and devise and discover other ways of showing love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I heard somebody say once, "Don't." Um, it was it was kind of along the lines of dieting and exercising, and and sometimes that cannot be healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Like we think we exercise because we want to be healthy, but some people go on an extreme tangent of diet and exercise um, that becomes unhealthy, and the little thing that I saw, the little meme someone had made, it said, don't, um, don't diet and exercise because you hate your body. Diet and exercise because you love your body. Mm, good point. Very and good point. And so that's the thing is that doing whatever we're doing, whether we're eating the cake or whether we're pushing the cake away, um, from, from an intention of love, 
Yes. Very true. Definitely, I've eaten a piece of cake with the intention of love. Oh, yeah. I think we all have. Sure. (laughs) That's like, that's That's one of the things I do. Like, if I'm going to, you know, spoil myself a little bit, pamper myself a little bit, let myself have a, 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 a day, so to speak, of, you know, self-care, yeah, there's going to be some chocolate involved. <laughs> well, they do say chocolate covers all the food groups, so. <laughs> okay, explain that to me. Chocolate oh, covers all the food groups. It, it, it comes from, I think it was a, I can't remember where it comes from, but but uh, the classic example is chocolate cake, because chocolate cake has egg in it, it has flour oh. in it, it has milk in it, so therefore it covers all the food groups. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so somehow, if we really work the math right, we can convince ourselves that yes. chocolate cake is a salad. I just know it. <laughs> we, we are all statisticians manipulating the statistics to say what we want to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking then, about your, your friend who, who um, uh, was telling herself that she was a, a survivor and, and was continuing to get opportunities to show that she was a survivor. And I'm sure you, you said something equivalent. Your your story certainly indicates it. But I was just thinking, what if she changed the word survivor to thriver? Right, exactly. I, I once taught a whole class on this, actually. It's like how, how, to, how to acknowledge and accept and even honor our experiences in the past that were difficult. So maybe someone that's had cancer and survived it, right, because you hear that so much, um, or someone who's been through a divorce or what, whatever hard things in life we go through, how do we honor those and acknowledge them without identifying with that thing so much? Um, and it's all in the language, mm-hmm. everything which is what our story, right? So I can say you know, I'm a cancer survivor, or I can say, I um, fought cancer and I won, and I'm thriving now. Mm-hmm. It's just a different energy in the language. It's in the language, and, and it's also in the emotional attachment to the language. If you just express the language without having the emotional ta- attachment, it doesn't do anything. But if you express it with the emotional attachment, it does loads, does huge amounts. So I can say, you know, I've been through, um, I was... I have gone through a divorce before, and now I'm in a happy relationship, or now I'm ready to learn how to have a happy relationship. Mm. You know, we all go through transitions where that's a, a thing that I really love with an affirmation is that if an affirmation, like you just said, if if it doesn't feel true, then it's not really going to do us any good. Right. Um, so if we look in the mirror after eating all the holiday sweets and say, I have a I have a slim, healthy body, but we're not believing it. That's not, it's just sounding like a lie to us. So what I like to say is I'm in the process of, or I'm learning to, um, you know, I'm in the process of creating a, a healthy body. I like the way or Joel I, Elston says it. He says when, you, uh, when you're trying to make a change like that, um, try to reach for a change that you believe in. Try yeah. not to make it something you don't believe in. Exactly. That's why I like this. I'm in the process of. Yeah, that's a good one. That's because now, right? now you're you're qualifying it just enough that you can start to feel like, okay, yeah, I can get there. Yeah, and if you say I'm in the process, I mean, actually, just saying you're in the process can be the beginning of the process. Oh yeah. So yeah. I'm in the process of learning how to eat healthier, mm-hmm. or whatever it is instead of being attached to the, the language that says I'm still back there where I don't want to be. I just had an interesting thought. You know how um, addicts who go through the 12-step program, they always describe themselves as recovering. They, they're never recovered, right? That Part, right. part of the 12-step uh, the modality is that you're always recovering. And it occurs to me you can kind of, you have to use a different word, I guess, but you can kind of do the same thing with the storytelling we've been talking about here. Because you've been telling yourself the story all your life that you don't like sugar as if you were a recovering sugar addict. Well, actually it isn't so much that you're a recovering sugar addict is that you never were a sugar addict to begin with because you kept telling yourself that story. (laughs) Yeah. I have to say that's one, that's one languaging that I've always wanted to change when, and I have, I had a friend that um, had gone through a 12 step program 
and had not had a drop of alcohol for 20 years and still said, well, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. And I, and I said, well, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that you're a person that had an experience with alcohol and that you're not the same person anymore. Yeah, that's um, a good way of saying that. I like that. You know, I, I think that we need to be recovered. Um, and whoever you are in this moment right now is, is who you can be. Uh, and if you haven't had, you know, if alcohol has been a problem for you and, and you've gone through a program and you haven't had a drink for 20 years, um, I mean, when when are you willing to say that person of 20 years ago isn't you anymore? <laughs> Scientifically, it actually isn't. You know, every cell in your body is different now. That's true. So, yeah. I forget what the, uh, the time frame is. I know it's different for different kinds of cells, but certain cells, they basically re- replace themselves you know, within a week. In other cases, it can take a few months, depending on what kind of cells they are. Some of them can take years, but for the most part, yeah, oh, in terms of who our, what our bodies are, they're completely different from what they were, say, 40 years ago. Completely different. Yeah, I think I think the, the time frame I've always heard completely was seven. Like, every seven years, you're completely... Okay. Everything is completely, you know, changed. Right. And so, yeah, so I think that we create it with our story. That's why our story is so important, um, and the words we use, so important. I'm a big fan of tweaking the language so that the words we use are more powerful and create a better story, which creates a better life experience. And part of it is learning how to tell a story. I didn't realize until I got involved in this whole law of attraction thing just how difficult it is to, tell, to truly tell a story if you aren't used to doing it. I mean, I actually had to get on the phone with my sister, who was a theater major, in order to go over the elements of storytelling, just so I could learn how to tell myself a story that actually sounded like a story, and that, that you know, engaged my own attention, so to speak, because th- there's an art to it. I mean, there are people well, who are really good storytellers, and there are other people who, you know, they, they try to tell a story, and you practically fall asleep because they don't know how to do it. Well, part of that is, you know, like you said, learning. It It's the same with, I hear this with emotions, you know, with understanding that the wider and deeper our emotional vocabulary is, uh, the more we'll be able to consciously create what we want and how we want to feel. But when we have a very small emotional vocabulary, we don't have a lot to, to go on. We get confused about how we're feeling because we can't express it. And so I'm always telling people, you know, to just expand your emotional vocabulary a little bit. It, it's hard to do it first. It is. To say, how right. am I feeling about this? And, well, I guess I'm feeling frustrated or sort of confused or, you know, reaching, spending the time to figure out, yeah, this isn't just, I don't feel angry about this. It's something else, but I can't really put my finger on it. How do <laughs> I feel? The more the more of a vocabulary you can develop emotionally, um, the better you'll be at being able to consciously choose your feelings. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I would go a step further. I I would go a step further and say that it's also more difficult, in my experience, to develop the positive side of the vocabulary. I find that, especially early on, I found it was a lot easier to find words that were on the negative side. But when I wanted to replace them with something on the positive side, I kept saying, there are no adjectives. Where are the adjectives? I can't find them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, we we'll talk sometime about the that emotional. Well, we talked about the emotional scale, the Abraham Hicks scale. Right. Um, and and I have a method. It's energy leadership, where there's seven levels of energy, and those emotions all fall into those levels. And level one is victim energy and level two is conflict and level one and two energy are the predominant energies in the world Mm. and what's interesting is that when you start talking about those levels everyone can relate to those two everyone knows what it feels like the second one was conflict but what was the first one um victim energy Oh, victim right yeah okay yeah you're right that that where you're not yeah where you're just not at you know at cause of anything Right. You're always at effect. And so that's 
you know, I always tell, people always laugh when I say, when, when you've been in that place where you're like, oh, this is terrible, this sucks, this is not going to get better, I don't know how to fix this, everyone like starts giggling because they're like, yeah, we've all been there before. <laughs> and then you go up to the next level of conflict. We've all had conflict. Um, and if we are someone who doesn't show conflict, we've had inner conflict. <laughs> sure. Right? But as you go up the level, it gets harder for people to find those words that, like, fit those experiences. And so that's what you experience when you say, well, all those negative words, I could find those emotions, but reaching for a bigger vocabulary of positive emotions is harder. So, so what are some of those higher levels after you get above victim and conflict? What are the higher energy levels? Well, the third level is the level of responsibility. Uh-huh. And that's the level where we say everybody's doing the best they can. Okay. And the fourth level is the level of compassion. Um, this that, that level is where it's about everyone else. So I sometimes refer to that as the mom level. And as you climb up the levels, you know, the emotions change, the feelings change. And so this could be a an hour conversation sometimes. So there's a lot to say about it. But Well, I was curious people, to know what they were just because, like we've yeah. been saying, the adjectives get harder when you get to the more positive realm. So I was just curious to know what the more positive realms were called. <laughs> Right. Well, as you go up, the the interesting part is like level one energy is I lose. Yes. Level two energy is you lose. Right. Yes. That's the conflict. It's like, right. oh, I'm coming for you. Right. <laughs> level three is I win. And level four is you win. Uh-huh. Okay. Level five is win-win. And that's where we don't want to go into any kind of a, you know, um, agreement with someone unless it's going to be a big win for both of us. Okay. And there's not a lot of people that operate there. Um, the next level is everyone's always winning. Ooh, I like this. And this, the top level is there is no winning or losing. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I can see also how adjectives start to disappear really quickly when you get to the higher levels because we don't have much right? language, period, for any of that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So it is an interesting, um, it's an interesting exercise and a powerful uh, system. That's interesting. The, the second to highest level is everyone always wins, and then the third, the, the final level, the, the, the top level is there is no winning. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, it's just an illusion. <laughs> I, I kind of stick with um, we're always winning the game we're playing. And that goes back to our entire conversation today, talking about the stories we tell, talk about you know, allowing ourselves to eat a whole pile of sweets and then feel terrible afterwards. Um, it's just we're always winning the game we're playing. And we get to choose how we want to feel and what our actions want to be. And we can help ourselves by remembering to just tell a better story. Mm. This whole thing about winning is really interesting to me because there are a lot of different areas you can talk about that. One area that I think about is um, – I'm not as much of a sports fan as other men are, but I am a sports fan. There are certain sports I like to follow. Um, I am a fan of UConn women's basketball and UConn men's basketball. I'm also a New York Yankee fan. But most of the other sports, you know, pro football, no interest. Pro basketball, minimal interest, and only because I'm 6'8", so I'm like supposed to be interested in that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, soccer, I can watch soccer, you know, uh, European football, I can watch that for about five minutes and then I fall asleep. So, so a lot of the sports really don't do a lot for me. Nevertheless, I do pay enough attention to my favorite teams to see what happens on the, uh, the online forums and, and sports boards where, you know, conversations take place about, you know, the latest trade or who beat who or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the, there's a phenomenon that happens so regularly, it just knocks me between the eyes every time I see it. And I see it every time. I see it every day that I look at, at you know, one of those forums. And that phenomenon is this. If you have a team that has a poor winning record over a long period of time, invariably you will find that their fan base is extremely negative. And we would tend to think that, well, they lost all these times, so that's why the fan base is negative. But you also see it with winning teams, too. Teams uh, like I'm a Yankee fan, right? And there's this whole thing about you either love the Yankees or you hate the Yankees. There's no in-between. And if you hate them, they're the evil empire and so forth. Even among the fans that love the Yankees, you would not be – you would be amazed how often 
they trash their own team. And the same oh, wow. thing is true for like the New England Patriots, you know, for the Golden State Warriors, all the, the big teams that do really well, they have this, this core fans that just trash their own team because they, the coach didn't make the move that they expected him to make, or they, they traded a player that they shouldn't have traded, or they didn't trade for another player that they should have traded for. This is like this endless litany of stuff. And on the days, this is the part that I'm getting to about the, the phenomenon I see on the days when they have a poor result in a sporting contest, the, the, the dialogue leading up to that is dominated by people who are on the negative side, what I call the nega fans. And on the days when they tend to do well, the, the commentary leading up to that are dominated by people who are positive fans. I can't tell you how many times I see this. It's just, I, I would say it's true at least 90% of the time. So, so uh, it'd be you're interesting saying to see. That the, you're saying that the reactions of the fan, well, it's not reactions, because you're saying it's actually before the result. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. So and you'll we, see all of these fans that are more positive seem to be putting out a lot of positive energy before a win, and you see the fans that are tearing their team down seem to have more energy going out tearing the team down before a loss. As an aggregate, it's not that there aren't any fans that are in the positive uh, voicing when a team loses and, and vice versa, but it's the overall aggregate, what you see more of. That's the thing. And I'm not a sports better at all. And that's a really big thing these days is betting on sports. But if I was, I would do a test just to see what happened. If you could somehow gauge what the fan base as a whole tends to be saying, is it more positive or more negative? And then bet accordingly on the team. I'll bet you that would produce a winning result. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, as a Yankee fan, I tend to chide other Yankee fans when they're getting into that uh, really negative realm saying, can't you say something positive about the team? I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Here's some of the good stuff. And always inevitably come back with, yeah, but this is happening and that's happening and this terrible thing is happening over here and how stupid the GM was for doing I mean, they just can't get <laughs> off of it. It's crazy. Well, they're stuck in their story. Yeah, they sure are. <laughs> <laughs> It's just fascinating to watch, I tell you. It, I mean, it is fascinating. It is wow. fascinating. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm going to continue to watch. I, I may even try it sometime. I mean, I don't, I'm not much of a betting man. I, I don't like to bet. I only, even with the games of chance, I only play if I think I'm going to win. You know? So, <laughs> And if I have a track record to prove it. Um, so first, it's like <laughs> I, I'm a very good poker player, you know. <laughs> but, but I wouldn't play poker at all if I didn't have a winning record. I just wouldn't even do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah one of these days i want to try that just, just you know, with a like a small you know pocket full of changed amount of money and just just see what happens you know just see what happens because i i have a feeling that if you play that long enough you, you produce a positive result in probably a pretty big way <laughs> not that i'm advocating that's, that's, people i don't want to tell listeners go out and try this i'm not saying that at all so do but, not try <laughs> this at home right <laughs> but it makes sense if we believe that everything is energy if we believe that uh, that that energy is going out and it has to go somewhere. It it's going to have some kind of a result or an effect. Yeah, yeah. And we, the focus of that energy is the team. Yeah. So it, that's fascinating. <laughs> I even believe that there have been times I've helped my favorite teams win championships. <laughs> and that that's a whole conversation by itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's it's right in there. You know, it has to have an effect. I think it does. I really do. We've got about a minute left. Before we leave everybody, we want to remind everyone, first of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. I mean, we're getting more and more subscribers, but we want everyone subscribed so that when new podcasts come down the line, they show up right on your smartphone. Um, if you're on iPhone, iTunes, uh, iPhone, yeah. If you're on iPhone, you can go to iTunes and subscribe to us there. Um, you can also do it through your built-in podcast app on your iPhone. Uh, just do a search in the app for LOA Today. We'll pop right up. If you're on an Android phone, same thing. Just go to Google Play and search on LOA Today. You'll find us there as well. So please do subscribe. And, Cindy, before we leave, uh, how can people reach you if they're looking for a little coaching? Uh, they can find me online at cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. Also, Cindy Chavez on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Come find me. Terrific. Cindy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Walt. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.